Hey everybody, welcome to Sporting Dog Talk. I'm your host, Tony Peterson. Today's episode is brought to you by Canine Athlete. Canine Athlete produces the new dog supplement, which is a three-in-one supplement that really just helps a dog with quality of life issues. They also produce the Hydrate and Recover, which is a great product. If you're dealing with a hot fall like we've had going on right now, I just had my dogs out hunting recently and it was more like beach weather than it was woodcock and grouse weather. And so they were panting away and they needed to keep hydrated. This happens a lot this time of year where we want to hunt our dogs all day or most of the day. We get out there and realize that the weather's warmer than it than it probably should be this time of year. And there's one really great way to keep them hydrated, which is canine athletes hydrate and recover. This sucker is formulated with no artificial colors, flavors, preservatives, or fillers. It works to uh, address you know muscle soreness after the hunt, helps fight fatigue, and of course, it'll help your dog stave off dehydration, which is super important. Go to wildernessathlete.com and use the code SDT20 at checkout to get 20% off your first order. This episode is also brought to you by Purina. I have talked a lot about how well my older lab, Luna, does on ProPlan Sport, but I've also got a six-month-old lab who you're going to hear about a lot in this podcast on her first hunt, who is also mowing down on ProPlan Puppy Chicken and Rice Formula. She does really well on this. This is this is not an accident. Uh, this formula is filled with omega-rich fish oil to help foster brain development super important with puppies. It's also got a bunch of antioxidants to support her immune system and is highly digestible, which ensures optimal nutrient delivery. Purina has good stuff. If you have a dog, and I know you do because you're listening to this, check out their products. You won't be disappointed. And lastly, this episode is brought to you by Lucky Duck. I haven't duck hunted yet this year, but by the time that this episode drops, I will have duck hunted. I've got a lucky duck blind out on a little spot that I'm hoping to get my puppy and my little girls their first ducks. Um, we're going to have some lucky duck spinners out there and some non-motorized decoys. And I'm going to haul those dogs to and from Wisconsin in a lucky kennel. Uh, Lucky Duck has so many really quality products, whether you're a diehard waterfall hunter or you just need a bomb-proof lightweight kennel to get your dog from point A to B, or maybe throw her in a, in a crate in the motel room if you're on a hunting trip, whatever. Check out their stuff at LuckyDuck.com. You're going to love what you get from those guys. My guest today is Jennifer Broom. Now, I know I've had Jennifer on recently, and she's been on a couple times in this podcast, but she and I met up for a woodcock and grouse hunt in Wisconsin just this past week. And so at the end of the second night of hunting, we sat down in the Roach Motel and we recorded this episode. It's kind of a hunt recap, but it's also a podcast dedicated to what it's like to hunt with puppies because we had a whole bunch of puppies with us. Uh, I think you're really going to like it. I had a blast not only hunting with her, but talking to her. She's one of my favorite trainers out there. I think you're going to really like this episode. As always, thank you so much for your support. We really appreciate it. Come here, bear. Hunt dead, bear. Hunt dead. That dog is family. Do something with a dog, it, it improves your overall quality of life. Good girl. Well, Jen, how do you feel about uh, northern Wisconsin so far? 
having a good time. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> love it. Yeah, the weather the weather could agree a little bit more. It's a little hot, but uh, it's fun. It's hot and it's ticky, uh, but the birds are out there. And I have to say, I'm very surprised that we're sitting here together doing this podcast because people, you know, people in your little circle are always like, oh, I'm coming through. <laughs> Let's go hunting. And I'm always like, yeah, sure. Yeah. And nobody ever shows up, but you showed up. I did show up. I did show up. I had an event for the Labrador Retriever Club. It had been a board meeting in uh, in Missouri, outside of St. Louis, uh, on Tuesday. And I usually do this trip out here the past three years to Michigan. So I thought, hey, uh, from St. Louis, I'll go up to Wisconsin and meet up with you and then uh, drive up around to Michigan. Yeah. And this has been an interesting, you know, you've been up here a couple of days. It's been an interesting hunt because theoretically the woodcock should be here. Mm-hmm. Theoretically, it should be nice and cool. <laughs> and neither of those things are true. No, nope. Not a lot of air. Uh Gosh, on Thursday when I hunted, uh, it it was 83 degrees, and like I said, when I got in my truck and it had been sitting in the sun, the temperature gauge said 94. You know, and it was in it was in the beating sun out there, but it's like it, it was hot. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, it it really makes you the the stuff that we've been hunting. It makes you realize how dry. Mm-hmm. You know, we went into we went into properties that I've hunted for years and years and years. Yeah, and they are so much drier than I've ever seen them. And so it poses a challenge for finding the birds and also just dealing with the dogs. The dogs. Yeah. My, my biggest concern is the dogs. Um, you can tell when they're getting really hot and they're working real hard, but just by their panting and their tongues and, um, and then they just start to break down emotionally a little bit because they're just hot. So it's, yeah. it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird, it's, it's rough conditions and you know, the birds have been kind of clumped up, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, the bird hunting for the conditions, I don't think it's been that bad, especially since we haven't caught the migration. Yeah. But, you know, the grouse numbers seem really, really solid. And it just, so we've been hunting, we just wrapped up today. That's probably why we sound like we're about to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we just wrapped up and, I mean, we killed five birds today. We shot birds in every spot we went to. Yep. And we only hunted public land. Yep. And that's, it. it's really, it just, it reminds you of just if you put in the work, mm-hmm. there's opportunities out there. Yeah. And when when you look at some of the properties we hunted you know, between yesterday and today, you're talking tens of thousands of acres of public land. And we touched like 0.000001%. Yeah. It's, and didn't run into anybody out there. We saw the guy yesterday. We did. Uh, but he was quite a ways away from us. Yeah. Really, really surprising today. You know, where we are in Wisconsin, there's a there's a youth deer season this weekend. Nobody out. I don't I don't think we saw anybody out bow hunting. Nope. I, I shouldn't say that. So the one property we hunted, there there was a truck parked there when we drove back that had the four-wheeler. Yeah, saw that. So out of all the places we hunt hunted and all of the thousands and thousands of acres we set foot in, we saw two other people utilizing this public land. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's there's a lot of land out there. So let's let's break down the dog situation because we had a we <laughs> we had a we didn't have the A team. So I'll I'll just say this: I brought my B team. 
this was Sadie's first hunt. And I thought we'd catch the migration, right? So I'm like, I gotta. Plus, my wife was like, please take this freaking dog. Yep. <laughs> and you brought five dogs. I let's, brought five. Let's talk about those dogs. Sure. So uh, Philly, who's my three-and-a-half-year-old Labrador retriever that I run in hunt tests and field trials, um, this is her third season now hunting and out here. But the past two seasons, I worked her as a non-slip retriever. So I kept her real close, and I and I let my pointing dogs, my German short hairs go out there and, and she loved that and she was so good at it. So I kept her, I mean, I kept her maybe 10 yards. So I let her, I let her hunt a little bit. It's not like I kept her at heel and that's what she had two years of. Um, cause I had so much fun and so much success with the short hairs. Uh, well, I, one German short hair passed two years ago. Another one I, I sent down the road and my, my top one is home pregnant right now due the first week of November. So I didn't have my pointing dogs. I brought a friend's Brittany and didn't even really know the dog and she <laughs> we we've had a hoot over her i mean she's eight years old and totally out of shape but she just is like the energizer bunny just doesn't stop yeah ripley is a <laughs> i don't know how to describe it. ripley is like that kind of like quiet friend you have who you just like might get hammered and just do something crazy like jump from a fifth floor balcony into the pool naked or something yeah. like just totally out of the blue. Yeah. Rip, Ripley's an odd one, but man, does that dog win you over? That dog wins you over. Um, yeah, she just she just never stops, and um, she's been producing birds for us. I mean, we've seen her point grouse. We've seen her produce grouse pointing. Um, she's pointed a cripple for us. Yep. She's pointed woodcock, and um, again, no real relationship with her, so she has no right to even stick around me. And I mean, I think she's in her glory just just being able to go out and do this. Um, and then I got the three hooligans. <laughs> and who are the three hooligans? Well, they're about between 10 and 11 months old. They no longer range real big as, as wild ones at five, six months of age because I've put a good handle on them for training. So they're just have, they're inside their head a little bit. And, uh, you know, they have moments of okayness, not greatness, <laughs> okayness. And uh, they'll, they'll come along. I mean, I'm here for, gosh, a whole nother over a week. And, um, and I'll get them out of different covers. But when you work as hard as we did, which we've done for the birds, you, you like to take the better team out, you know, because you, you just, when we're working that hard through the swamps and the different covers, you like to know that you're hunting with a dog that has a clue. And, yeah. and so it was really neat to see Philly develop on this trip because, you know, the first day she was only hunting 10 to 15 yards and going out and staring at me and like, okay, when are you going to send me out to go flush over the pointing dog? And, uh, and I was egging her on a little, go find a bird, go find a bird. And then when she'd get on birds, you'd see, she really started, she was, she was doing a nice job. And today, particularly when we were hunting that woodcock area, um, and after the woodcock, and then when we got on the grouse, she, she just really made me real proud. And I said, oh, she's starting to come around now. So that was nice. She opened up at at that point. Yeah. And this was interesting because that, that Brittany, there, there's a couple things about that dog. I mean, it's it's kind of a, it's kind of a lunatic. <laughs> it's a, it's a lovable lunatic. It's, yeah. it's quirky. Let me put it that way. But that dog is so fun to watch. She is because that dog does not stop Doesn't. looking. Yeah, even when we stop to talk or check our GPSs or check our check our maps, you know, she would just she would just hunt to the point where I was like, I'm not breaking my gun open again because the minute yeah. we start talking, she she'd point something or move a bird. Yeah, she's. 
that that is a good that would be a good dog for a lot of people to see because mm-hmm. it makes you understand what you can get. Yeah. Now I will say she she came from really good bloodlines. Um, a gentleman named Bob Flurry in uh, Stonington, Connecticut, bred her, and he's he's bred field trial labs um, for a long time. Excuse me, Brittany's, and um, but she's owned by some pro trainer friends of mine, retriever trainers, and she just doesn't get work. Yep. She just doesn't get work. She's a kennel dog. So she, you know, in my opinion, doesn't have a right to be hanging around us and do that good. But she just, you can see a lot of natural talent, you know, works with you as a partner. Um, she'd come around when we needed her to. She's a nice little dog. She is. And that's, I mean, that that's a good, that dog is a good example of why a lot of trainers out there, you know, like Dawkins says this all the time, like buy a better dog than you think you're going to need. Because that, even with whatever little experience that dog actually gets out there, that dog is wired for it. Yeah. Like, there is no question what that dog is doing, what that dog lives for. Yeah. And, I mean, that dog winters in Florida, and she'll get work on quail down there. Um, I mean, maybe once a week to go work on birds. And then they, they summer in, in Vermont, so she gets to go out just for hikes. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, she's it, it's neat to see the natural genetics of a dog do that well that doesn't have the training in them yeah she just doesn't yeah so you mentioned earlier about you know using the seasoned dogs using versus using the three young knuckleheads that we're going to be running together and i was glad to see you default toward the dogs that were going to put birds up because it makes me feel better about my life oh yeah because you know like i said on this trip i fully intended just to bring luna i was like i'm just going to bring the ringer and i'm going to shoot a bunch of birds and then my wife was complaining and, you know, Tom had reminded me like, don't forget about that puppy. And, you know, the gunfire introduction had gone so well, it was like, I better bring that puppy over there. But you have that, even you see these little glimpses of this where it's like easy to think, like I'm, I'm going to hunt for my puppy, right? Like I, this is just on the job experience, yeah. but it's impossible to ignore that draw to want to kill some birds. Like it's, it's just like a balance you have to find. Yeah. Yeah. And with the three hooligans, um, when I hunted on Wednesday and Thursday, I brought the one dog Purdy out with the two more experienced ones, the Philly and the Brittany. And um, and you saw her shining brighter because she was with two dogs that kind of knew what they were doing. And when I put the three hooligans out together, you know, they're just feeding off each other's cluelessness. And, you know, one runs runway and then they follow each other. And, and um, so it'll be a lot of work on this trip because – Taking a 10, 11-month-old dog that's used to pen-raised birds and he's used to a lot of control and a lot of obedience, you know, to get a, get a handle on them, and then having them have to go work that hard for grouse or woodcock, there's a huge learning curve. Yeah. So they'll be most successful when I split them up and I work them over the Brittany, and you just, I just, I got to put the time in. I got to put the miles in over those dogs. Yep. But you get a little selfish because you hit the woods and I'm like, God, oh, I just want to be over the best. I wish I brought more, you know? Yeah. Well, it's part of that is because of the conditions were tough mm-hmm. i mean if if the migration was really swinging through it wouldn't matter oh yeah yeah if we but, were hitting birds left and right and not having to work that hard but when you're when you're working as hard as we are through some of that stuff yeah i don't want to be tripping over dogs that you're like what are we doing out here yeah, yeah. but it, i mean it is a good reminder that you know it, it, it's good to be aware of that like even if you're going to slip into like I, I do just want to kill some birds uh-huh. <laughs> like to know like there's times where like that last run we made with the three pups, like you just like, let's just give them a chance, yeah. you know? And then they recovered that bird and they did a good job. And you, you see those moments where it's like kind of, it kind of like centers you where you go, okay, this is why I brought those puppies out. Yeah. It's not just about me yeah. and it makes it, uh, 
it's it's just a good reminder that there's there's a lot of reasons to do this and we we kind of when we talk about it a lot of times we sort of just boil it down to like i'm going to do this or you take your dog to do that then you get out there and it's pretty dynamic like there's a lot of stuff going on and you always have that feeling of you know like yesterday was a lot tougher than today like when you haven't killed a bird and you've already hunted two spots you're like oh my god like can can we just get one in front of the shotgun yeah (laughs) yeah um and I'm going to congratulate you because your puppy Sadie, she's a neat little dog. Well, she, thank you. Yeah, you should be proud of her. Um, I it was really great dynamics having her with a three and a half year old dog Philly and an eight year old Brittany. And um, you know they didn't really want to play. They were they were doing their work, and so she she hunted in front of you nicely. But she just, I can't wait to see what she turns into with two seasons behind her because she's a neat she's a neat little dog. She really is. Congratulations, good work with her. Well, thank you. Yeah, I was. Uh... I was very happy yeah. <laughs> with how this went. Yeah. You know, I, I thought I, I was so nervous because I knew you were bringing a whole truckload of dogs. Yeah. And I'm like, man, Sadie's just going to mob these dogs till they correct her. And then she's not going to know what to do. But she actually, you know, she, she didn't, she had no idea what she was doing yesterday morning. But when the birds started getting up and the, like, I think they sort of feed off. And I've, I've, I've always kind of parroted what Tom says about like, old dogs don't teach young dogs like they really don't like but i looked at that situation and watching it unfold for a full day yesterday and then today i'm like this is these are not bad dogs for this puppy to be around it was it was a good it was a good dynamics yeah yeah, it it really was and then when you shot that grouse over her and uh and she started putting it together it it was neat it was neat but she was questing almost the whole time i mean she was not a bootlicker for you by any means um she was having fun there was no stress on her um you know, my dogs weren't beating her up because they just, there's just really good dynamics. And I, I've found that over my career dog training is um, those three together, they're bad dynamics. Mm-hmm. They just are. And, you know. Is that because they're, they're similar age? They're all the same age. And, you know, they're cooped up and they don't really quite know what they're doing. And it, at my place, when I take them out into the cover back in my hunting area, my dog training area, they know what they're doing and they'll go quest and they, they'll go find birds. But this is can be intimidating, you know, and um, and then they're playing with each other, and then they run up. They're like, "Should we be healing? Like, we don't even know what we're doing right now." And uh, it's, and I've always done this. I mean, for all the years I've been grouse and woodcock hunting, I bring a truck full of dogs, and I usually have three or four experienced, and then like one or two puppies, and and it's it's hard work taking those puppies out to grouse or woodcock hunt because inevitably almost every puppy you end up tripping over them when they get hot or tired or lose confidence, but you know, they, they start getting on birds and you see that light bulb going a little brighter, a little brighter, and they start putting it together. So this makes, this makes me think of something because it is easy to default to the ringer or the ringers and just be like a, you know, like I want to hunt over a dog that I look at and I go, that dog's on a bird Yeah. It, versus these dogs that are just, they're so hard to read because they don't know what they're they saying. They don't know what yet. they're doing. Yep. When you're, when you're training, let's say you've got, I don't know, half a dozen dogs you're really working on or maybe a dozen, whatever. Is it, is it hard to go from a dog that's just accelerating and like a rock star to giving one that you're just like, Oh, this one's just not getting it. Like, is it, is it hard to give them enough love? Like, or do you just like want to default and go like, I want to work with the rock stars. Well, I feel like dogs go through phases in their life. Like the one that was a total bootlicker today that was driving me crazy was tripping over. I mean, she's the one that'll go run down the road and she's the one that, um, has found ducks for me because I do duck searches with her and, uh, and she goes out and can be a bird finding machine. 
but right now I think she's just in her head too much. Yeah. You know, she didn't want to mess up. I corrected her once for, you know, cause she ran down the road on me a couple times pretty far. Then I gave her correction for that. And I think she was like, Oh, maybe I should just stick with you. And, um, whereas Purdy is my little rock star, I think right now, but th- that dog was, has not been a fun dog to train. She has been, uh, she's been a challenge, emotional challenge. She's, she reverberates with excitement. She's a bear to fetch train. Um, why? Um, she's a little bit of just emotional craziness. She's just reverberates. And when we, when I very first bought her, because I buy started dogs from same breeder, and, and I love them. I love the genetics. I love the bloodlines. But out of the four I bought this year, I mean, like, the three were fairly stable. And she was almost unstable. I call her unstable. She just couldn't even sit still. And, I mean, she's my favorite right now. We went from hating her when we got her, like, I can't wait to get rid of this dog, <laughs> to... Hmm, am I keeping this dog? You know. <laughs> so was it was this a matter of just you figured out how to direct that energy or what? Yeah, um, I think so. With a lot of obedience and just sitting still, because um, I think she was a dog that just moved nonstop. So a lot of sort of patience chain work and a lot of sitting drills and just time spent with us. Because I mean, you saw when when you first met her, she was like hackles up and she's a little bit bizarre. But then as soon as she knows you, she's your best friend. Yeah, we're and, buddies now. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, yeah, you were wearing her earlier. <laughs> yep, yep, we're buddies. Um, yeah, and then um, the Golden Retriever, and he comes from great bloodlines at Jackie Mertens, at Top Brass Goldens. I mean, I've seen incredible moments of greatness with that dog. Um, and again, pen-raised birds are so different when you put them on wild birds. I mean, and when I say pen-raised birds, if I'm putting these dogs on, on quail and chucker partridge. I won't even waste my money buying pheasants where I am in, in New England because either you put them down so much sleeping them the dog catches them or you don't put them down enough and uh, and they're in the next county, you know, so they're too much for a young dog. So their, their bird work has been fairly easy, you know, fairly put right in front of them and, and just pen raised birds. So um, yeah, I feel like a lot of dogs will go through cycles in their lives where, you know, they suck for a little bit and then they're like, then they see some good stuff and then they get inside their heads and, but and it all comes around. It just, it, it takes a good two seasons, in my opinion, to get a really good dog where you are exposing them to duck search work and waterfowl hunting and, and pheasant work. Um, and whether it's just on preserves, because again, where we're in New England, all we get for wild bird hunting as far as upland or, or, or woodcock. Um, so I just try to take them on every adventure I can. So this is going to make me sound really stupid. Why doesn't New England have any grouse anymore? Oh my goodness. No timber production or what? No, they don't. They don't manage for it all. In the in the northwest corner um, and along the, the, I guess, Berkshire area and, and New York, um, there may be some, you know, and people might be upset about this. Hey, there's a grouse around, but there's really not. Yeah. There's really not. I've, I've lived in Connecticut now for 22 years, and uh, I've never seen a grouse, and I'm in the woods all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's telling. It's It's interesting... To see, you know, I grew up where I grew up in southeastern Minnesota. You know, I hunted the bluffs along the Mississippi all the time, and we used to have. I mean, I grew up just hunting grouse without a dog. Like we used to just go, and you know, I mean, like we didn't shoot a ton of them, but you could go out and flush birds. And then the timber production thing just ended. Yeah, we don't we don't have any. Yeah, but here where we're at, you know, we the last spot we went into, you know, that that's a huge. I don't know how many thousands of acres. It's a huge chunk of, of county land. And we drove right by an entire section that's, I think it's a two-year-old clear cut now. And you can look at it and just go, 
that's going to raise a ton of birds in a couple of years. Yeah. And that's what it'll take to fill in those other areas that are a little bit more mature. And it's just so, I don't know. It's just nice to see that you, that, that at least in some areas, like there's still a good population. It's still going. Yeah. Um, it's what I like so much when I got introduced to Michigan to hunt Michigan is that there's so many different clear cut areas like that at different ages. And then the same thing with Maine, but, um, in the areas that I went around Maine, it is tough hunting. I mean, it's like a lot of slash that you have to hunt through and it's just, it's either the slash to me or the swamps. Now I haven't gone up far enough North in Maine where you're almost to the Canadian border. And I know that my friends have great hunts up there, but that's, that's just not an area that I've, I've hunted. Yeah. So you, instead of just driving up there, you decided to drive 7,000 miles to oh, oh yeah, yeah. the Midwest. I totally. And I'll, I'll do it all the time. Three years ago, it was, uh, it was Michigan for a week and then up to Canada for a week and um, with, with a, a good friend of mine who knows some covers really well and we made out well and, and had a great time on Woodcock and Grouse. Yeah. Was that the same time as this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. It's such, it's so variable. I know just, just even looking at the forecast for next weekend, I know that the Woodcock is just going to be on fire. And it's just not happening right now. No. I mean, the covers we were in yesterday and today, it was like, why aren't they there? It it was perfect. It was everything Woodcock, you know? Yeah. But it's, so this is, this is something I think you, you really learn this when you go out and just hunt a lot of public land. Like this happens to me in the deer world all the time where I get an idea in my head, like the Woodcock come through here. They land in this area of this property and it's October or whatever. So I'm going to go in there and I'm going to shoot them. And almost every year there's something different. So like if you, if you would have said to me before you showed up here, you know, we're going to flush more grouse than woodcock. I would have said, no way. Yeah. Like no way. Yeah. It's like not possible. And then today we go out and I mean, yesterday we had that one good spot that had some woodcock in it, but generally we flushed way more grouse than woodcock. And it's just always, this, this stuff is always changing. And it's, I think... I think that this is going to be a probably a huge stretch to connect these two, but I feel like when you go through a lot of hunting like that, it makes you understand why dogs that hunt in dynamic environments and varied environments get better. Yeah. Cause they have to problem solve too. They totally have to problem solve. Yeah. I mean, think about all the different terrains that we went in. We went in, we went in some, um, soft woods on higher areas, right? And we got down in swamps and, and we were in alder stuff and we were we were in little saplings. Um, we were in some thick stuff and just, there's there's a lot of problem solving for them to do. There really is. And and I mean, just watching them. I mean, I, I, I really, the past few days have enjoyed watching Philly just really come around, you know? And then, and then when you see when they do get on a bird, now she's all of a sudden, like I watched her quarter today and I was like, oh man, she's going to be good, Yep. <laughs> you know? Yeah, she she really she just changed. Yeah, she like, changed. But I mean, part of it too, you know this this is something that when you when you hunt with dogs so much, you just realize it's such a killer. But like yesterday and much of today was just so calm. Mm-hmm. Like that little pointer had nothing to work with. I mean, you, you watch that and go, it's just it, it's it, they can't overcome it. Like you can you can get on some birds, but when they don't have even like a five mile per hour wind to work yeah. it's it's so much harder yeah um 
one of the reasons, I mean, we've talked about this too, and we've had a great time the past two days hunting together. But one of the reasons that I, I like to hunt by myself so much is that I don't ever want to have to pay attention to who's around me. I want 100% of my focus on the dogs because I'm constantly reading them. And, and the times that I was successful on birds today, I saw them getting tracky first. They were, yep. they were tracking first, and then I just like took off, you know. Um, so there's, there's so much to learn from watching them. Yeah. I'm following him. Yeah. Anybody who's listening to this who might hunt with Jen in the future, just you're going to have to put a leash on her. <laughs> <laughs> when I finally broke away from you today, like when, you know, I was like, oh, all right, I'm just following my dogs now. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, it really is the best way to hunt. And it, I mean, even, even pheasant hunting, keeping track of somebody and pacing with somebody else changes everything. And just going out it is, you know, on the, on the properties we were on, you knew if you walked enough, you were going to run into some birds. Like it was a matter of miles. And if you can let those dogs do their thing, instead of having to worry about like, you know. The, Where the freak is Tony? God well, darn it. No, I'm just kidding. Here's, here, I'm just I'm going to lay out a scenario for the audience here so they understand. I'll be like, hey, Jen, we can't walk that way <laughs> because we're going to hit a private line and I get a thumbs up. And absolutely no consideration for where you're going to walk. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no. We still got to go this way. <laughs> you, you're, I can count on one hand how many people all up in the hunt with. And, and congratulations, you're one of them. And I will say, I, I had fun. We, we we had a good time. We hunted well together. We, we, we worked off each other pretty well. And it was a good dynamic of dogs. Yeah, it was fun. And it, it makes you realize that one other person would have been too many. Oh, forget that. Yeah, it uh, would have been. Three people doing that? No yeah. way. Yeah. We, we do it, you know, I don't, this is, this is really fun for me because I don't get to hunt birds in October very often. Like, I don't, I don't know if I've taken an, a whole weekend just for upland birds in, in October, probably in like 10 years, wow. like it, actually probably longer. And so this is really cool, but I'm used to the late season hunts here where you can see everything. And, you know, if you're, if you're spread out with a couple people going through the woods, you can keep track of them, you know. 20 times easier than you can right now yeah. but it makes me realize when you get in there and the leaves still aren't down and it's like this is really difficult stuff to keep track of somebody in yeah. I, and it's funny because I would have hunted so differently alone than I hunted with you now we hunted real strategically and, and you know the, the areas that we worked but you, you have to know where your hunting partner is yeah. you know I mean the amount of times that I spent looking at you making sure you're there making sure you're there um, whereas if it would have been just me and the dogs I just would have been following them everywhere and just yeah. staying, staying in the boundaries, but just, I don't care if I did circles, yep. I'd be following them. But it, it, and it would be better for them because they're checking on me, mm -hmm. you, you know, and they're, my dogs like interfering and they're checking on her and it, it just, it does just change things and it's, it's fun, but it's, it's better to go out by yourself and follow dogs. Yeah. I, I have to say, I, I haven't, um, I mean, most of my grouse and woodcock hunting is, is alone. And when we did, and I hunted by myself Wednesday, Thursday, and then when we hunted together uh, yesterday morning, I was like, this is fun. Like, this is just, I don't have to worry about where I am. Like, you can keep track, you know, and, uh, and and it was really fun. But then there was that moment today where we lost each other and you just texted me and said, I'll meet you back in the truck. And I'm like, oh, game on. <laughs> and I just, I just went, <laughs> yeah. just following the dogs all over. And, yeah. Yeah. It just, there's a, there's almost a little bit of element of stress off yep. because now I don't have to like make sure where you are. I, you know, it, there's just an element of stress off for me. Yeah. Well, and you, the, your lab that you were running for most of today, 
sh- when that dog is on a bird, like you got to go. Yeah, you got to go. Yeah. yeah, she gets. She's very clear. She puts her nose down. She gets real tracky. Her tail goes. And again, I've learned her, you know, too. And uh, remember that spot we we had we'd flushed the bird. I think we flushed two birds. And then you wanted to stay on the high ridge, and I'm like, nope, I want to go down the swamp. And you said, why? Because I think there's a bird down there. And I said, I know there's a bird down there. And sure enough, and then I royally missed that beautiful red-faced grouse. Like, I mean, came at me, going away, two shots, totally missed it. Um, was able to go after it again, but I saw Philly's, I just saw Philly chasing after it, and I couldn't get another shot at her, yeah. or did, but it was too far. But she's she's very readable when she's on a, on a bird. Yeah, that was, that was an eye-opener for me today. I had forgotten or this weekend anyway, I was, I've been very spoiled for a while <laughs> with the dog I've been running yeah. and running a puppy that doesn't know what it's doing. And, you know, it doesn't show you anything yeah. like she, she's, she doesn't know what she's doing. So you don't see, I, I mean, I saw a few times today where I was like, she looks like she's like birdie yeah. or, or like getting in the neighborhood, but it's not like that clear. Yeah, she doesn't know if she's birdie yet. No, she doesn't. <laughs> and I mean, the, the one time I looked up and I was like, I just saw her above me and I was like, it looked like she just flushed a bird and she looked back at me, but I can't freaking hear anything. And then we go up there and Ripley goes on point right there. And I was like, there was a bird just there. So, but I I don't know. I mean, you see, I, I, I love, there's just, there's just times out there that you see something happen with those dogs where you're like that dog just got better like that was that was something some little thing well probably not that little really where you're like that that dog will never go back down right like it just leveled up and you could see it with your dogs and i saw today so was that oh it was this morning the first woodcock you shot sadie ran up to it because she marked it because it landed right by me because I was ducking out of the way of your pellets. Um, <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> no, I was uh, <laughs> I swung over you. I didn't no, swing it was through okay. you. It's okay. Yeah. We're good. You, there was at least five feet between <laughs> me and the bird. Okay, yeah. uh, but no, Sadie marked that bird and ran up there, didn't pick it up. She's like, I don't know. Are we supposed to pick the these things this? up? And I, I sent her in. She picked it up and brought it to me. And I was like, okay, I hope we're over that. I did one little play toss later. And then when you hit that bird after I shot that grouse and that, that we had, that woodcock fluttered down, we didn't know where it was. And then the one I like shot in your ear, that one, yeah, that okay. one, yeah, the sorry. one where I shot a grouse and we were having a little party. And then you're like, I'm never having a, I'm not, I'm, I go, I am not keeping my gun open while I talk to you again. And as I'm closing my gun, the dogs flush a woodcock and, yeah. and you're like, wait, <laughs> you plugged your ears. Yeah. Well, I could tell by the look on your face that there was going to be a was, shotgun going yeah, off so yeah. i just plugged my ears and cried a little i i think i was at least four inches ahead of you and you you were safe yeah. you're good i was i was happy because i was holding a grouse but that bird you clipped him and he fluttered down and we sent all the dogs in there and kind of marked it and sadie got it sadie found it and you just watched that six month old rock star and there was no like that one just from the first one to that one there was no hesitation she yeah. was just like here's what we're here for and it just like it just felt like that one moment where you're like, we're not gonna have to worry about that anymore. Like if we knock Woodcock down and she smells them, it's gonna happen. So audience, Tony did have a little tear in his eye for that because yeah. here's two big dogs running around trying <laughs> to find it, and their CD goes out, fetches her, fetches her Woodcock, second one, and actually gets it this time. It was yeah. it was a pretty sight. It yeah, was it, cute. It was it was cool. It, I that is. It's fun, you know. I've got a buddy who's who's working a lab, and he's doing a lot of planted bird stuff right now. And he's like, he's, he's stoked for what he's seeing, but he's seeing some problems come up too, you know, like typical stuff. But 
they're just a different, to me, there's just like a different feeling when I see like that wild bird situation shake out, no matter what it is. I don't care if it's ducks or pheasants or whatever. And you just see them do something out there in that environment where you can't plan it in any way, shape or form. And you're like, that's what I want. Yeah. It's really neat. Yep. Yep. So what are we going to do tomorrow? Besides, you're going to drive nine hours. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to go up the UP around. I, I wish maybe I'll stop at a couple spots because my, my Airbnb, I don't have Monday till like four o'clock. And I got a friend driving out from Connecticut that's going to meet me. So I hit some of the gem areas last year along there and, and had a good time. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll hit a couple along the way to break the trip up. Um, but what are we going to do tomorrow? I want to get on some birds. Well, I, I got a few spots left to hunt. But you're, you've got a long drive tomorrow so we'll do we're going to do a early morning hunt probably you know a couple hours and then you're going to still hunt your way up to the up right yeah yeah are you hunting public land up there yeah so and you've got how many days left to hunt i'll stay till next sunday i think that's the 17th or 18th so how did you this is a long trip for you. It was yeah. a couple of weeks, right? Yeah, because I, uh, goodness, when I left uh, last Saturday afternoon. Yeah, so how did you decide what which dogs to bring? Well, I brought the only ones, honestly, I could, including, you know, borrowed a friend's dog. Uh, again, my short hairs do um, in four weeks with puppies, and I, I just didn't want to subject her to the this trip. And I've got a retired 13-year-old, and... Uh, so that they're home. So it was Philly and borrowed the Brittany and then the, 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 the two hooligans with the labs, which one is, one is sold and one's for sale. I still have. And then, uh, and then a client's golden who was pretty excited to have him, me bring him when I, and again, they're, you know, these are dogs that, um, my hooligan puppies, the, I got them at six months of age and they really, they could jump six foot fences and they knew how to run away pretty good. And mm-hmm. uh, great genetics again, but just stayed with the breeder a little longer than I would have liked to. So it was a lot of obedience and fetch training and, and you know, all the things I, I think about, like, oh, my God, they're still, what do they not know? But in the grand scheme of things, like, they recall, they do listen, they're super socialized, they travel really well, they're conditioned a gunshot, they know birds, they just need to put it all together. They've had a whole bunch jammed down their throat literally in June, July, August, September, four months you know, four months. So there's, they've had a whole lot of stuff. Um, and the same thing with the golden retriever. So, um, I certainly would love to have more experienced dogs with me for as hard as you hunt, but there's also time of just paying or paying my dues. And, and so normally you would always had that GSP with, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And I've done this trip before with, with three GSPs, my older one who just, and she paced herself so well, Elsie, that I could have her on the ground for three quarters of the day. I could have her on the ground for the whole day, but, you know, the, her last year hunting, she was 13 years old, and I, I took really good care of her. But she'd hunt all day because she just paced herself even slower than the Britneys. She's so methodical, and, I mean, I just would follow that dog. She just, she was a bird-finding machine. Would you run three GSPs at the same time? No. Oh, okay. No. Yeah. No. Um. That'd be a lot of bells tinking in the woods. Yeah, I, I, I one or two, um, and I love running a GSP with a, with a flushing lab. That that's just that, is that what you always do? It's not what I always do, but I really, especially on woodcock, it's just so fun. Why? 
I keep the, I keep the lab nice and close. I get to watch my short hairs work close. I get to watch them work. They have beautiful points. And then, you know, whether it's under an alder or the cover where you're trying to get through with your, with your gun and to be able to stand back and, and the short hair might be about five yards in front of me and then send the lab in. It's just a picture. It's just a picture. And you see, you see the lab work it and the bird usually goes straight up in the air and it's a beautiful shot. It's an easier shot. I certainly am a lot more successful going in that way than trying to go in there and bust it on my own. Um, cause it does seem some of these woodcock go under some good stuff, you know, and again, yep. you're trying to, you're crawling around looking for them and, and my heart's racing, you know, at least when I stand back and watch the lab do it, it's, it's just, it's a different picture and I just really, really enjoy it. Yeah. I believe that, uh, because I'm, I want to tell everybody who's listening, when you hear Jen shoot in the woods, you know instantly whether she got a bird or whether she missed. Because you're going to hear a celebration or a swear word instantly. Oh, my God. Like that crossing grouse I hit today, it was just, and it was left to right, which is, I'm much better at a right to left shot. And uh, it was just an epic shot. I was so, so happy with that shot and it went down in a ravine and Philly marked it and brought it to me. And, you, you know, you thought we were like, where are we looking for that bird? I'm like, no, 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 I got it. And then after well, we, that, so hold on, we were having like a long conversation there and there was still like feathers drifting yeah. down to me. So I'm like, I don't think she got it yet. Yeah. yeah we had a little yeah. miscue. Yeah. And then, uh, and you're like, well, we're, we're, I got it. I got it already. Cause it was just, it happened pretty, pretty quick. Yep. And two birds had gotten up. And then when I wanted to go back down in that swamp area, that, that bird that got up, I mean, I'm, I'm going to have little nightmares about that because both Brittany and the lab were on it. It got up at like nine o'clock. It came, we looked each other in the eyes, this beautiful red phase. And then it turned, was beautiful going away shot. You know, I almost could have thrown my gun at it. And I'm like, oh, I got this. It's, and miss, miss. Yeah, it wasn't pretty, the, the screams that I was doing. I was yeah, not, not a no. happy camper. That was, that was an R-rated yeah. Yeah, bird encounter. <laughs> <laughs> It, don't feel bad though. I have a lot of hunting buddies who swear a lot as soon as they miss. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that that was interesting. I want to ask you about the that golden because watching that dog. I mean, that dog's such a lover. It's a big golden for a field bred. I, I think anyway. Uh, and it, I felt like today was, or it, maybe yesterday, but today too was just rough around that dog because of that coat. Yeah, this is just tough stuff for a. It is. Well, like I, like I said, um, the Brittany, when I got her and she had a lot more feathering, I brought her to our groomer at the kennel and I'm like, take, take it all off because, um, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to have to bandage that. They get tangled up. And, um, but the golden's got a decent coat and, uh, and, and I know he, he's gets hot. He gets, he gets hot easily. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you see, you know, you mentioned that older GSP and the the energy management, you know, that, that Brittany, is awesome because that dog doesn't waste a calorie. Nope, like that, that dog is just, it's always like the same pace yeah. and just, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm working the wind. And it, that dog is working the wind constantly. Yeah. And then you watch these young idiot dogs and they are wasting <laughs> every bit of energy they get. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. When we, I didn't even tell you, but when we walked in with the, the three pups later today and uh, we were trying to hit that swamp, there was like a leopard frog in front of me leaping and they're like chasing it. I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> Really, guys? Yeah. Yeah. There was there were more frogs, ticks, and mosquitoes out than I typically prefer on my... And snakes. I got the yeah. snakes yesterday. Yeah. True. Yeah. We didn't see any bear. Well, we saw a dead one. Um, speaking of the dead bear, I, I know what I was going to ask you about that golden. I cannot imagine a world where I would let anyone take my dog halfway across the country and hunt 
in the environments that we're hunting in, what what's the level of trust? Because didn't you say the 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 people who own that Golden live in New York? Yeah. Do they live in New York City? Mm-hmm. They do. Oh yeah. Okay. How does somebody who lives in New York City end up with a field bred Golden? that ends up with you, that ends up out here? So they reached out to me first, and I helped them get into this breeder. Um, they have another golden... Well, hold on. They reached out to you to find the dog? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I helped them. I hooked them up with Jackie Mertens, and they, they drove the uh, gentleman and his daughter, flew down to Florida, and then drove back with the dog. And uh, and a lot of people do that. And I have a lot of client dogs in New York City, and they um, they might have their weekend country houses, or, or they, they hunt at different preserves and stuff in more upstate New York area. Um but I mean, granted, the dogs aren't all coming in the hotel room because when I when we hunt this hard and I want to sleep at night, I don't need dogs that I'm worried about. You know, these youngsters are going to be chewing something in a hotel or whatever. I brought Run Crate, so every night I'm bringing a dog in plus Philly. But look how anal I was when we got near any road area. Like I didn't want to hunt near any roads because I don't want a dog hurt in my care. Like I yeah. just I lay my you know lay it down for him. I really do. I have him. I was watching him. I have him. I have him staked out now, just cooling off. And um, yeah, people do trust me a lot with them, but um, they're my life. You know, yeah. I just want to do the very best for them. So the, these people who own that dog, do they hunt? Mm-hmm. They do. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So they just want his first hunting dog. He's super excited. He's a member of um, of one of the clubs up north, and uh, and he and I will probably hunt together this year. In fact, he was going to fly out for a day to hunt with in Michigan with me. So I'm I'm not sure if he's going to yet. And I'm like, I said, if you do, I think I might like end up having you go hunt with with a, a buddy of mine, Robert Eckert, just because you can hunt. You can crash through the woods with some of his setters, and because uh, his dog's just, just your dog's not going to know enough yet. And I want to like, if you're coming out for one day, I want to try to get you on birds. Mm-hmm. So, um, you mentioned that you you buy a lot of started dogs. Yeah. Uh, in a in a couple. Well, I buy I buy puppies anywhere from three to six months, and so I don't even call that started. Um, I mean, they're baby puppies. But if, but if you buy a six month old puppy, somebody's had its hands on them. You're right. You're right. Um, but pretty raw, the place that I get it from, you know, they're, they're socialized and, uh, and great trained and stuff like that, but they're, they're pretty raw. So, and I don't, I don't ever sell what I call started dogs. I try to go towards more intermediate to advanced dogs and sell them by anywhere from 10 months to a year and a half. If I keep them longer than that, I'm usually in love with them. And, uh, anything less than that is just not enough experience that I want to be able to get them. But but this breeder that you're getting your dogs from is it always the same breeder? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. So you just trust them to I, handle oh, them. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I was wondering why you would why you would be sourcing dogs that somebody else had had their hands on already. But if it's somebody you trust, yeah. Uh, last year it's the same breeder I bought seven from during COVID. I bought seven seven of these. Imagine that. Yeah. Is yeah. that because you drink so much? Yeah. <laughs> because that sounds like a drunk purchase oh my gosh yeah we went up there i was actually prepared to buy up to 10 and uh we came back with only seven and one of them was that pandemic but you you bought seven with the the idea that you're gonna work on these dogs and then sell them yeah yeah except i kept one and he's now in in field trial training so when you say you you go beyond like a typical definition for a starter dog what is that um in my career um, I have had so many people get duped by buying started dogs across the country and, and, you know, not to dig on other trainers or stuff like that, but often somebody will sell what they'll call a washout 
and it's usually an absolute kennel dog, and it's a slob in the kennel that's never been inside. They're, um, I mean, you saw it. You said Ripley. She's a little weird, huh? Like, she's not in her comfort zone. She's used to being in a box in a truck or in a kennel run, and I have her staked out right now, so she's a little freaked out. Um, I put a lot of hands on these dogs, and I socialize them a lot, and I travel with them, and I I work a lot on their fitness training. Um, and I've just, I've had customers over the years like, yeah, I bought a started dog. It's, the guy lied to me. It's it's a mess. And um, one is I think that dogs are so, if, if a well-bred Labrador Retriever is anywhere from $1,600 to $2,500, right? And now you start looking at a pro like myself who's putting month after month after month of care like at my house, veterinary care, food care, you know, those dogs should be like valued at eight hundred to a thousand dollars for every month that you have them. Because why bother? I yeah. can I can make more money doing that, training other people's dogs, and not even keeping them with me. So they're certainly not going to be the very best rock stars in the field because they're going to be still, again, eleven months to a year and a half. They need a lot of experience, but they are stable. They're socialized. They're healthy. Um, you know, I kind of put in, if somebody doesn't want them, I'm like, I'll buy them back. If you don't get along with this dog, I'll buy it back. Um, I have bought dogs, started dogs before from kennel, from kennel people. And I mean, they eat poop. They're messes. They can't settle in the house. They're not totally socialized. And, um, you know, I try to raise a dog that's fairly unflappable. So what this, what this makes me think about is, you know, cause you hear people talk about started dogs all the time. But there's no standard. There's no standard. So you don't know. And I, I dealt. I, I knew somebody who was doing uh, shed dogs. They were started dogs. And I, when I heard the price, I was like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> like, yeah. And then I started like getting into it. I'm like, "Oh, okay. Like, I, I get what you're putting in. This is. Yeah. These are like nine months to a year old dog. And what, what it, in my head, I heard shed dog. I'm like, well, you can train a shed like. That's that's not like if you have a dog with retrieving desire, I think that's the easiest thing to get them to do. Yeah, you know, because you can do it any time, and you, if you have one shed, you can train forever. But what you were paying for was the dog and all the obedience and all the oh socialization. And yeah. so, it, I, like, I, the sticker shock to me was like a freaking shed dog for this much. Like yeah. you can, but that was like just surface level stuff. Yeah. You know? So I mean, honestly, I want to talk numbers. I mean, um, in the past I've sold them for $5,500, but I, I bought them for $1,800. And then I've, you're talking the dogs that I had for six months to eight months to 10 months where again, veterinary care, a lot of veterinary care, right? Shots, feeding in my house, uh, let out at seven in the morning and last let outs at 11 o'clock at night. Um, on my truck, go on trips. In fact, my, my vacate, my vacation this summer in Vermont for four days was I had, I think I had eight dogs on the road with me. Um, because I just try to take them all over. So I've gone up to like 65 and $7,500 for Labrador retrievers. And if somebody's like, oh, I'm not going to pay that. I'm like, well then good luck picking out a puppy. That's going to be 1800 to $2,500 where, you know, you have a genetically sound dog. You don't have allergies. You don't have hip issues. You don't have eye issues. You know, you don't have a temperament issue um, that crates amazingly, that travels really well. 
And then you go through all the obedience, the leash work, the e-collar conditioning, the socialization, the bird work, the gunfire work. And it's like, and I never feel like I have enough into them, but in the grand scheme of things, I'm like, oh, I got a lot into these dogs. <laughs> I never feel like I have enough into them, but I, like I start looking back, I'm like, there's a lot of work. Yeah. There's a lot of work. And I don't even know if I'm going to do it next year because it's just come to the point where it's more work than I can sell them for of what the market wants to pay. And again, killing me, people are bringing doodles to me that they spent $35, dollars $5,500 for an eight-week-old puppy. An eight-week-old puppy with no papers, you know, no no genetic background. So, so you... You think that the started thing, when you when you really break it down, you're like, this is not... It's not. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And people don't understand. It's what, not worth it. Yeah. They don't understand what's going into it. Nope. It's it's really not. And I, and I, you know, why do I do it? I love having the dogs around. I mean, I bring them to work all day. I work them all day. I get home from it. I rode them. I swim them. I kayak them. They just do so much with them. And I love to be able to provide my clients who I know with dogs. You know, there's customers of mine who... Well, like, well, I'll never not get a dog from you, you know? Um, and I like that because then they're walking billboards for me and I get to go hunt with them. And, you know, I know I got them into a good dog. But um, I've had other customers who are like, well, maybe I'll try a puppy this time. And they get a puppy and it's not the dog they wanted. Uh-huh. So, what, What's your favorite part? What's your favorite part about working with dogs? Oh, man. Not hunting with them. The companionship, um, the connection, the bond. Um, and I have, I have such a relationship with the dogs that my husband, Jason's such a sweetheart and he loves him and he feeds him and he cares for him, but I'll go, I'll go walk one way. You know who God forbid has ever divorced, you know, all the whole pack walks with me and not that would ever happen, but just the loyalty and the friendship and the consistency, um, just, just absolutely love it. Just yeah. love being around them. I mean, I, I could put I could put my hand on a dog, and I could just feel it go to my soul. You know. I I I was curious how you were going to answer that because I've I've spent a fair amount of time around a lot of pro trainers, and I've always like when people when people ask me like who should I go with for this or like I want to do this with my dog, I'm always like in my head I'm always like find for for the people I'm kind of dealing with, I'm like find somebody who hunts. Like find somebody who hunts with their dogs, you know, unless it's just something like an obedience thing they want or, you know, some, some kind of intro work that they just can't do themselves. Like, I mean, maybe it really doesn't matter that much. I think it kind of does, but I'm always like, find somebody who doesn't just train dogs, but who also hunts with dogs and lives to hunt with dogs. Cause I've seen that with the, a lot of pro trainers, like watching you the last couple of days, I'm like, this is a person who loves dogs. Oh. This is not a person who's just talented at getting a dog to do something. And there's a difference out there. And I, I think, I, I just feel lucky getting to see it firsthand. It, it kind of like opens my eyes like, okay, this is, there's just certain people put on this earth to do this. And you watch it and it's not just, like, I'm sure there are people out there. And I always like, that's, I'm not, I'm not going to say that. I'm sure there are people out there who are really good at getting dogs to do what they want, who don't really like dogs that much. Yeah, I, oh, I love them. Yeah. And it kills me now. Like, um, I'd rather have them all inside with me. I really would. Um, I'd love the, them cleaner. Like, if I was back at my place, they'd all be getting warm baths tonight. You know, I'd be going through them a little bit more. They, they need would, it. Oh, they need it. My truck would be a lot cleaner. You know, um, I just I love to care for them. I love to nurture them. I love to. I just love being around them. I really do. It's just so rewarding.
yeah it's it's pretty cool um total tangent i forgot to tell you this so i was just out in north dakota hunting deer and i came home and my truck was dirtier than it is now which is saying something because oh the first day i was there it was our trucks rainy. are nasty yeah. yeah and i came home and my truck's filthy and my daughter wrote her name in the dust did it scratch it <laughs> yeah Oh, I, I, I took it to the car wash and I walked out the next day and I looked and I'm like, I can across both passenger doors. I can read my daughter's whole name. <laughs> and I'm like, it was one of those moments when I saw that I, I was actually taking the dogs out and I was so pissed off. I think it was your daughter, not a drunk buddy. Oh my God. <laughs> and, it, but at, at like, I feel, this is how I know I'm getting old, right? I was livid, like so pissed off, but I'm like, she didn't. She didn't know. Yeah. She didn't mean it. And then I'm like, uh, I'll. F I, so I called up a buddy who knows about this stuff. I'm like, what can I do? And he's like, here's here's the way you probably fix that. Or like, he's he's like, there's things we can do if it's not too bad. And I just, it was like a weird parenting moment because I walked the girls out there. Like when when they got home from the bus, I was like, guys, you see this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't do this. <laughs> yeah, this when you're running your finger along there and it's like gravelly dirt under there. Look what it did. And I like I didn't get mad, which was which was good. But it was just like one of those moments where I was like, oh, God damn. <laughs> Can I not have anything nice? I know. I know. Well, it does kill me because this truck is uh, five months old, I think. And I usually keep it pretty sparkling and nice. And it, it, <laughs> it is not <laughs> it that. It is not. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, it's, it's pretty nasty right now. Yeah, it's, it, it is what it is. But it shows that you've been hunting. And that, that is not the most inconspicuous truck I've ever seen. No. I, I can never hide it. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, it was funny. Uh, the last truck, it's the one of the stainless dog boxes, you know, and it's this is the fourth um, truck that I've had on this particular box that was made up in Canada. And um, two trucks ago, when they were building, when they were connecting the new truck to the box, they, they, the owner of the dealership gave me a Cadillac Escalade and a black Cadillac Escalade. And I was so excited because it was like half of October, November, and I was had that out in the woods. I'm like, this is so inconspicuous. This is so cool. And I'm sending him pictures with dead birds across like the hood, and he's laughing. He's like, that's so cool. And I was like a drug dealer in the woods, but it didn't say like my big, you know, everybody knows. I, I can never hide. No. You can't hide. No. Yeah. I got a loaner a couple of years ago. I can't remember what happened to my truck. Something happened to my truck, and they the dealer gave me a loaner, and I brought it back. And I'd killed a deer <laughs> that weekend. <laughs> and I brought, and I, it was actually not that dirty yeah. compared to what it could have been. But I, when I brought it back, they looked, they're like, what did you do? Yeah. <laughs> like I shot it. Well, usually when they give you a loan or two, like you're, you're supposed to sign, you can't have animals in it. Yeah. But like, I'm like, okay, let, let's think about this. I'm a professional dog trainer. You know, you're building me my new truck. Um, you're giving me a loan or guess what's going to be in it. And um, when I was taking it hunting, I, uh, I'd have a dog in a crate in there and I'd go out to it an area to hunt and the alarm keeps going off and I can't get the alarm to go off and I can't get the alarm. I'm getting pissed off. And Jason was with me actually. And I call the dealership and in the escalades, there's like an internal system for movement. So it kept sensing movement every time the, the dog would move. So they, I think they used satellite to turn it off. It was pretty funny. You got to throw it on like pet mode or something. Yeah. I have very little experience with Cadillac escalades. Uh, it, it was pretty sweet. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. I bet. So what, how did you end up being, because when I think about you and the conversations we've had, I always think of like you as a retriever person, but you were telling me today when um, one of the times we stopped and you've been talking about your GSPs a lot and you have the pregnant GSP at home. How do you end up doing both? Like, sure. Because you see a lot of people break one way or the other. I know. Um, 
Hmm. I know. I swore when I first got into this, when I started, when I went to watch a guy with some LP pointers and I was like, they just aren't my gig. I'm just, I don't, I don't want a dog running that big. And, um, love, I've always loved my retrievers and I've, I've been real successful with them hunting upland birds. Um, but when I got into first, even just watching GSPs work, to me, they're the closest, they're about some of the closest of the versatile dogs to a retriever because they, they love to swim. They love to retrieve. Um, they can be fairly close working. Um, I just, I got a couple cause I was going to try a breeding years ago. I, I bought a, like a couple males and I was going to, I'm going to try some and they, they were kennel dogs. <laughs> Imagine that I bought kennel stud dogs and they were nightmares and, and got rid of them and got this one and, and she turned out to be such an ambassador, this dog, Elsie. I mean, she's just a dog that put me on the, the map with Navda doing a versatile championship and master hunter when she was two and just, just an amazing dog. And, um, it's fun having both and it's fun training both. Um, I'd probably be, be a better trainer if I concentrated on one or the other. Do you just, think so? Like overall? Well, I mean, you'd be a, more of a specialist, but I'd you be think more you'd of a be specialist. a better trainer? Well, it's, you know, maybe I'm throwing myself under the bus about that a little bit because you learn so much from the different dogs. Um, and I might've mentioned this on our previous podcasts, but I'm still amazed how, when I see a pointing dog on point and regardless of the breed, you know, and I've seen setters and English pointers and German short hair pointers locked up on point. And when I say, send a lab in, I mean, the, the pointing dog can, can have a bird pinpointed 10 yards away and the retriever runs in and they just, it's just a different nose. It's just a different nose. They, it takes them, they, they usually don't run right to where the bird is. In fact, I've watched Philly and she's pretty good at it. She's pretty experienced. Run, 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 then find it. And, you know, I, I love if somebody really delved, like studied the difference because it, you go, really lab? Like what's going on? Their breathing is different. And again, if you look, I made that comment yesterday, the way that Ripley paces herself, the Brittany, she's breathed differently. She's able to, you know, here she is eight years old. And you said today, you're like, well, Philly looks really hot. She, she got really hot for a little bit. Her tongue's hanging out. And she's a three and a half year old, really fit dog. And Ripley has no right because she has no fitness behind her. Um, there's a different way they breathe. Yeah. There is. So do I, I, I think, I think I learn a ton by training both. Um, you cannot train a pointing dog like you do a retriever. And I think that it can make you a more thoughtful trainer and, and you get, you start, you start having all these tools in your toolbox of how to address different situations. And, and Elsie was very forgivable to me. She could, she could take high, high amounts of pressure that I might at times want her to do something. And a lab would be like, okay, I'll do it. And she'd just look at me and she's like, if I don't understand, you can give me all the pressure in the world. I'm not doing it. And so she, she taught me a lot. That dog taught me a lot. Um, retrievers, retrievers, Labrador retrievers in general, I think are just very, very open and amenable to things and, and pointing dogs in general, not as much. You work off a lot of their natural genetics and then try to harness that. Well, you know, I, I just did an episode with Ethan Pippett, who's a GSP trainer, you know, mm -hmm. or, you know, primarily he specializes in GSPs. And he, he brought that up about just their independence. Yeah. You know, they, they go out and work and, you know, labs are like, you know, that, that one lab today was like underfoot. Yeah. Because <laughs> like yeah. you said, you know, it was just like not confident now to go out. Yeah. 
And you could see that lab was like, I don't know what you want, but I'm going to stay right by you. Yeah, I'll just, I think I'm going to do what I really need to do. And I'm just going to over, yeah, she was, she was like, yeah, in her head too much. I'm yeah. just going to heal. But there's a, there's a difference. It, there, there's like evidence. Maybe I'm just like filling in the blanks, but it looks like there's evidence there of that teamwork thing where a lab's like, we're doing this together. And a lot of pointers are just kind of like, I'm going to do this. Yeah. You're going to do that. And we'll it, come together when yeah, we need to. Yeah, you can to. find me on point And then, you yeah. know, yeah, maybe it, I won't bust the bird it, on you. It's just a different thing. When you when you bring up the, you know, the difference between, you know, your labs and your GSPs or pointers and flushers, and you talk about the, the nose is different. I mean, how much of that is just ground nose work versus keeping the you nose up? You know what? I, you know, I've heard on your podcast, I've heard other people's podcasts, how much we don't know about dogs' noses. And I'll say in my seminars, because I, I learned, I think, from one of your podcasts, that a dog can um, smell what a drop of gasoline in an Olympic-sized swimming pool. It, one I, your... I think Nathaniel Hall said three drops of something yeah. in an Olympic-sized yeah, si yeah, I remember that. The equivalent um, of it, yes. Right. Um, it, I have just seen it time and time, and it embarrasses me. Like, if I'll have a group of people out, and they might be, like, pointing dog people more, and then you watch the lab, like, trying to find the bird, trying to find the bird, and it's just time and time again. And... Obviously, you see that the labs have good noses, but the refinement, you know, whether, you, like you said, they're they're air scenting it more. Um, although German short hairs are pretty tracky dogs. Yeah. They really, and especially my dog Doozy, you know, she's a dog that almost always has her nose to the ground. So, I don't know. I, I, I wish I knew, but yeah. it is so, I wish, I wish that I have the opportunity. Well, you even saw it with Ripley. You saw, you saw Ripley freeze, right? And then the dogs working around, working around. Um, but if I had one of my short hairs that would lock up on a woodcock, and then you'd watch a lab go in and not be able to pinpoint it, because and maybe they're maybe they're ground scenting and they're following the tracks and following the tracks till they finally locate the bird. But it's just so remarkably different. Yep. Yeah, blows me away. Well, it is, and it's it makes me wonder just the difference. You know, when you when you knock birds down, sometimes. And, you know, they're, they're so close, like labs that this, that's one of the things about like shed dog training, like you train them to use their eyes mm -hmm. to look for antlers because they don't give off a whole lot of scent, but they're so focused on the ground scent mm -hmm. that you can look and there's a freaking rooster, you know, tail feathers sticking out of the grass, but they're like, I find them this way yeah, and they don't pick their head up. Well, you know, I'm thinking about now and I'm thinking about some of the wise things that Rick Smith has, has talked to me about. And, um, when I rode my dogs and, and take them out, whether I'm roading in harness or I take them out loose. And the, the labs are mouth panters. They pant quite a bit, which means that they're probably missing a lot because they're gulping air. And even though, again, Philly's a fit dog, isn't she? I mean, mm -hmm. there's no must, there's no fat on her. She's probably 50, 57 pounds. Um, but then there's that little Brittany who really wasn't even panting, and my short hairs are the same way. So I can go out and I can road them three to five miles at a, at a moderate pace and stop, and the short hairs' mouths are shut, and the lab's tongues are hanging out. So that's got to be a huge part of it, wouldn't you think? Yeah. You know? It, it has to be, yeah. Yeah. But it, it's also, I mean, the difference between a three-and-a-half-year-old lab, I mean, some conditions they can't overcome, right? Yeah. Like, it's, today was rough. But... You see, like I can see my eight-year-old lab, when I watch her work, she doesn't waste a calorie either. And it, that's probably part of it. Like yeah. they probably instinctively know the more worked up I get, you know, if they get on a bird that's running or something, they're going to go. Yeah. But they probably kind of instinctively know I don't 
I like I can't smell as well when I'm freaking wore out. And you see them, you see those dogs that know how to really manage their energy. Yeah. They just do better all around. Like, yeah. I, you know, like maybe, maybe that's not a part of it at all, but I just like have to wonder. I really think it's just the, 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 the breathing difference and the, you know, the, the big rib cage, the brisket area of, of some of these pointing dogs that just have a better capacity for breathing and are able to really use their nose and the mouths are, the, the labs are just so mouth oriented with, you know. When they do you know who would be a good person to ask this? Is that? Arlie. Oh, Arlie Reynolds. Yeah. If, if you were like, hey, Arlie, what's the VO2 max of a GSP oh, yeah, versus totally. a lab? And he'd be like, well, this one yeah. is. <laughs> well, let me check. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not us idiots yeah, being yeah. like, oh, I think this is how their yeah. chest works. Yeah. Yeah. But even the the recovery too, like I said, when I when I finish roading them, and um, I mean, I try to road my dogs five nights a week, taking some time to exercise, and I get them downstairs in my dog room, and, and I wait till they're cooled down before I uh, feed them. And the short hairs will come in and their mouths are just shut instantly and the labs will just be panting and they could pant for half an hour and it's, um, you know, it's the different muscles in them and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to start crossbreeding the two. Oh, ple- oh yeah. That could be your next thing. Well, the litter coming up is, uh, is, is German short hair doors. <laughs> I'm going to charge eight grand per puppy. No, doodle, no doodles in there? Uh, no doodles. So as a businesswoman who's done this a long time, do you, do you train doodles i train a <laughs> lot of doodles the flavor of the past six months or year has been bernadoodles mm-hmm. so is that something i i'm always curious about this in it, where you're where you live like do you see these things pop up where there's somebody who starts breeding these things and you go jesus i'm getting a lot of these and then you find out 10 miles down the road, there's somebody who's... No, people are getting from the internet and just putting credit cards and getting them shipped in. They're just getting them it's from wherever. everywhere. A lot of puppy mills, a lot of all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other... I'm going to mention this too, that the, the frightful thing that I've experienced this year um, of post-COVID stuff is... I forget if it's one in six or one in three people got pets or dogs during COVID and most of them were first time. And the lack of common sense is, is putting it, it is what it is, but just understanding of what a dog needs. So we have our assessment forms and people fill out and they say, I don't crate train. My dog sleeps in bed with me. There's always someone home with a dog. Um, I free feed. Like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, one in three people free feed, which means leaves food out, you know, 24 yep. seven. And then, and then they're wondering why the dogs are, are having, you know, they're neurotic and the quote separation anxiety. And it's just like, I am, I think for 2022, I'm going back to more gun dog stuff because it was a very challenging year of trying to educate people and convince them why you need to create train, why you don't leave food 24 seven. And it was just, it was, it was just so challenging. Do, are those, are those people, are they coming to you when they're at their breaking point or, or do some of them come to you when they get a puppy and they go, Oh, they come to me when they get a puppy and then they look at me like cross-eyed, like, you know, crates are mean. And then they, you know, they see the, the obedience and stuff that I'm doing to dogs and, and some just absolutely don't get it. And others, you know, some people are fabulous in it. They're like, we don't see this information out here and everything is positive reinforcement and treat training. And, you know, they jump on you, you turn your back and, and I'm just like, "Hmm, nope, nope, nope. You know? Um, 
so it's, it's just been, it's just been a challenging year. I mean, I get people that are like pissed off cause their, their hunting dogs are, have, are scratched. Like I'm work. Oh yeah. I had a skin rash. I'm like, you want to see my rash from running through the woods all day? You know? <laughs> um, yeah, that means I worked them. I yeah. don't have them in a bubble. Um, so I think for 2022, um, I don't know that I'm going to be raising dogs. Um, I'll be helping people get dogs. It's just so much work in, in the raising of them. And I want to focus more on the gun dogs because I, and I've heard this from so many trainers. I mean, there's just a lot of information. I'm, I'm in forums with different trainers and we're so burnt out of the first time dog owners that are such helicopter parents that are like, you know, they, they no sooner drop the dog off and then they'll call you an hour later. Oh, how's Fluffy? Is he okay? Is, did you miss me? You know, and it's, they can't handle it. You know, they're the ones that are having the issues, but um, I'm just ready to go back to a more serious dog people. That I think that's the billion dollar question is how do you get the general new to this game pet owner to understand what a dog really needs? You know, like I, I don't know. I think that I have a, possibility in the future of this job situation that might be coming up to reach a, a a way better audience with that message like i think it's a possibility it's one of the reasons why i might actually take it but generally i just look at this and i'm like how do we they they need that there's such a need like um the new york family who i adore who's got the golden uh with me um I helped him find this dog. I've been doing a lot of work with him. And then they decided to send their six-year-old golden retriever up to me uh, for me to watch while they were away. She looked like she was 10. She Her teeth were horrible. Her coat was horrible. And she was about 20 pounds overweight, which is the norm for most of the family pets these days. And she was getting a canned like ID diet because she had had a kidney stone problem or whatever. And I'm like, has she had it recently or is she okay now? I totally switched her diet and I took about 12 pounds off of her, her first round of staying with me. And she was like a puppy and they, they couldn't believe the difference. So there's such a need out there for, you know, the exercise, the fitness training, um, the, and I also put some more obedience into her. She was a little bit of a princess and she came back a totally different dog to them and they liked her so much more. You know, so, um, there is, there's, you know, I, I wish I can get involved with a forum a little bit because there's just so much sort of propaganda out there of, you know, be nice to all the dogs and the cookies and, you know, and ignore bad behavior. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's not really the way a dog wants to live. You know, they, they do like you micromanage and be the leader and be a tough leader. And they're so loyal to you because of it. Yeah. The dogs that are so unstable, are the ones that they're, I call their owners are wet noodles and the dog's in charge and the dog's a mess. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you do about that, but it's, I mean, it, it's a matter of, you know, we were laughing last night when we, when we wrapped up cause I had Sadie tied up outside with me and these fly fishing guides here at the same motel as us walked up like, Oh my God, she's so calm. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Now she is. <laughs> but you know, it's interesting. And, and this just drives me crazy. And, and it happened today and I'm not going to mention names, but I brought a dog out and, and, um, and it was the golden and, you know, and I work so much to contain and touch them with just kindness and calmness and gentleness. And person goes up and he's roughing the dog up 
And there his unstable dog is what? Going crazy from inside. And he's like, hey, buddy, hey. You know, I'm just, and I, 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 I so, would you stop? But then I don't want to sound like a total bitch. And I'm just, I'm just looking at it like, man, he, now he's like ready to hump your leg because you got him so excited. You know, they're a mirror of who, you. Who was, I'm who not would do even going to say that. <laughs> um, and I just, it, it just makes my skin crawl. Um, I have a hard time these days being around even most people's family pets because they're just, they have so many problems and they're a little off kilter, you know? I wonder if this is my wife, like if we're watching a movie and a hunting scene comes on, my wife's like, oh God, he's going to talk about how inaccurate this is and how shitty it is. I wonder if that's what you feel like when you see pe- like average people with dogs. I will have to say, I was, I was watching Downton Abbey one time. It was hysterical. They were doing a driven shoot and the acoustics people decided to go <laughs> as they're shooting you know, side by sides. Yeah. Um, I, I get stressed out going over most people's houses with, with family pets that rule the roost. Um, I, I can like, I can feel... Somebody just shot yeah. 17 hours after legal shooting light ended. <laughs> I can I can feel the dog's stress and it and I can feel their instability and it makes me so sad, you know. Um, now, I I started in April this year hosting once a month seminars at Quinnabog Kennels at my my kennel and uh, I I had up to 30 people where I cut off at 30 people um, dog handler teams. And there were five-hour seminars with an hour in the middle with our veterinarian talking or a 45-minute lunch break with the veterinarian just doing full question and answering, which was super cool. And probably three-quarters of the people that attended were brand-new pet owners. And they'd be coming down the driveway with heads hanging out the window, dogs going batshit crazy, reactive, whatever. And each seminar that I hosted, I'm like an hour earlier, an hour earlier to get a handle on everybody. And to have the dogs just totally stable and quiet. And I'm like, um, you know, any dog that was going a little crazy, I'm like, oh, there's a volunteer. And I'd go take the dog and I'd, and I'd put it in its place real quick. I'd step toward it real quick or I'd, I'd make an action where it just looked at me like, who the heck are you? And I'm like, I'm your leader. And they just lay down. And, and people are, oh, my God, you know. And it seems like the people are so yearning for that good information and to be able to see it that quick with a dog that was, you know, German Shepherd, Pitbull, Doodle, Lab, you name it. I mean, because we get everything and they're just going crazy at each other and people are holding them really tight and, and, and it's neat because literally within an hour, all the dogs are suddenly a pack because I'm like, stop letting them jump on you. Stop letting them pull you all around and give them a job. So here we are in, in our, um, um, adventure arena with, with all of our obstacles. And I'm just like, make them do it, make them do it, make them do it. And you can see that dogs like brains almost seething coming out their ears. Cause they're like, you just had me do this simple thing. And now I feel like I have a purpose instead of it barking and reacting and stuff. So I do love sharing that information. Um, because there's just not enough good information out there these days. And I had, I hosted my last seminar, uh, the week before I left for this trip and it was full house with 30 people. And, and it, they're just incredibly rewarding. Um, so there's, you know, whatever you might have going on, there's such a need for good dog information. Yeah. Well, and I I mean, there's no better way to do it than that. You know, I mean, every trainer I know that does some kind of handler workshop or some in-person thing is like, that's the, it's the move. Yeah. Cause it's just, people finally get to see what we talk about. And I'm like, as long as your dog's not going to try to 
publicly like attack me, you know, in front of 30 people or I have to, I have to like hang it. Like, I mean, it's coming after me and that, that did happen. And oh my God, it happened like three seminars ago and uh, it was an Australian shepherd or something. And yeah, it was, it was a little bit ugly. Um, but um, I, I can take almost any dog, reactive dog and literally like in seconds, just just by my aura about it and stepping toward the dog and saying, you don't need to be the leader. And they just, they just diffuse and they just all of a sudden they're laying down and the owner's like, Oh my God. I'm like, that's what they need. You know, they need you to be assertive with them. You know, I'm not being an alpha bitch. I'm not trying to be like nasty or abusive. You just say, Hey, you, you don't have to have that stressful situation of leading me anymore. So, and most of the people are like white nickel, white knuckle grip holding the leash like this, you know, so it's, <sighs> struggle is real well i hope i hope next year goes better for you um i'm so glad that we got together to do this this was really really fun and now i've got a dog that needs to go outside yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's she's telling us uh but really thank you for this coming is, it's been a hoot yeah I, I i didn't think we'd ever get you know we did our first podcast and i was like there's no way we're gonna hunt and then it came together and it's it's been super fun it has well thank you you got it man that's it for this episode of Sporting Dog Talk. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and our YouTube channel. And of course, if you liked what you heard on this episode, please, please, please subscribe. That helps us out so much when we get to see the support from our audience. And lastly, thanks for listening. <laughs>